Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I am Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy with the James Madison Institute. With me uh, this week is Logan Paget, our Vice President of Communications and Public Affairs, sitting in for Bob McClure, who's up in New York at the Atlas uh, annual event. Uh, good luck to him. Uh, Logan, tons good to go through. Good luck to me. Yeah, good luck to you. You don't need good luck. <laughs> you, you're good. Glad to be here again. Yep. Uh, so tons to go through. We had our special uh, podcast edition on the election results. I'd like to talk just a, a little bit more, but then kind of transition into the kind of impact that the results will have on policy, because that's really uh, what we're about. Uh, first off, it looks like uh, last night, I believe, uh, the House was officially called for the mm-hmm. Republicans. They hit to uh, 218 members of the Republican Party winning congressional seats. So uh, based on that, the caucus will choose the next Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, out. It looks like Kevin McCarthy in. Yeah. Uh, what's your take? I mean, it seems like what you and Bob talked about last week, Florida is really to thank for that. With yep. the diff- you know, With our new congressional map and picking up additional seats, and I think we kind of flipped the... Um, flip the tables there. Yep. And, 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 you know, kind of credit to Governor Ron DeSantis for having the foresight on mm-hmm. uh, kind of sticking to his gun, so to speak, when the legislature gave him a map that he viewed as an unconstitutional gerrymandered uh, map based on Congressional District 5, I believe it was. Uh, he made them come back. He vetoed that map. And uh, as a result, Republicans in the state of Florida and the congressional delegation are up probably four seats over what the prior uh, map would have been the one that he vetoed. So um, uh, if it, indeed it is Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he should uh, send a, a call or a gift basket over to Ron DeSantis and thank him for uh, helping him to become Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Right. So we can't exactly say the same for the Senate. Um, nope. And uh, I think that they're actually still continuing to count votes, if I'm not mistaken, but it doesn't look like it's going to be. Yeah, we, we've got it looks like uh, with Adam Laxall uh, losing in Nevada and Blake Masters losing mm-hmm. in uh, Arizona that we'd be uh, at best 50-50, depending on the runoff in Georgia. Uh, so either uh, a continuation of exactly the, the balance that had been over the last two years or uh, if uh, Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock, wins re-election, then a 51-49 right. uh, Democrat majority there. Uh, we had a little bit of drama with the minority leader election uh, with Senator Rick Scott taking on Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. But it looked like, um, I think it was like a thir- uh, uh, 37 to 10 uh, vote yeah. in favor of uh, uh, continued minority leader uh, McConnell. Uh, I think this is going to have a big impact on uh, policy from the federal perspective in that with a Republican House, you have investigatory powers, you have the ability to stop whatever uh, a Democrat Senate is going to try to do to advance the ball. So I can't imagine uh, them trying to 
for example, blow up the filibuster knowing that the Republicans in the House are just going to have whatever that they send DOA uh, in terms of policy. Right. And one of my favorite tweets that I saw a couple days ago uh, was a a picture of a road in um, St. Augustine that got destroyed during Hurricane or Tropical Storm Nicole last week. And it just said, a hurricane hit Florida, destroyed a road, the road has been rebuilt, and Arizona is still counting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've we've kind of uh, set the bar very high on uh, securing our election system, producing results that are free of any kind of allegations of uh, kind of malfeasance, and doing so in a way that is kind of a, a model for the rest of the country. I think Governor DeSantis had said that uh, we knew. Uh, all of the results of every election in Florida by about eleven o'clock, uh, you know, Eastern time, uh, and you know, we had seven point seven, I think, million votes cast, and smaller states just are continuing to have issues with how they count and tabulate their votes. Is and that so, just because Florida starts counting them when we receive them, or what else is to blame for that? Probably the biggest thing that uh, helps the state is the the laws governing, governing what's called the pre-canvas. Mm-hmm. And so the pre-canvas means that as early votes and mail-in votes are coming in, they're tabulated and ready to report immediately. So once eight o'clock comes, eight o'clock Eastern time, the polls close in the central time zone, Panhandle, we have a number of uh, uh, kind of the supervisors of elections just pushing out their early vote tabulations and mail-in vote tabulations immediately. It creates the, the degree of kind of favorable perceptions over the security of Florida's vote. And, you know, you want to not only have a secure election, you want people to feel that the election is secure. So the perception governs a reality in a lot of cases, and people are just not feeling it in Pennsylvania, in Nevada, in Arizona. So uh, uh, continued commendations to uh, Florida's election system, to Secretary of State Court Byrd. I think it's just been a a kind of a, a, a gold standard for the rest of the country. Right. Well, moving on, this is not going to be news to anybody listening because everybody knows, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, that not even a week after the uh, election, or uh, I guess exactly a week after the uh, election last week, Trump has announced that uh, he will be running for president. So we never even stopped the election cycle. We're just in this constant election cycle, and we're already talking about 2024. Yeah, and that that to me is probably the the least reported aspect of this is that we used to have this cooling off period between elections. Mm-hmm. And yes, that cooling off period shrunk a lot over time uh, because of technology, because of the 24-hour you know news cycle, everything. And now there is no cooling off right. Like period. I didn't want to start talking about this till Labor Day next year. And you know, even, that's when I really wanted to start thinking about it. And but. to his credit, Governor DeSantis the other day said, you know, to the media when they were asking him about it, he's like, 
guys, cool off a bit. Like, we just got through. I just got reelected. An election, And yeah. I've got a lot of work I need to do. He's got a 2023 legislative session right. to plan for. I mean, right. this, this is something where... Um, yeah, I remember writing an article for the journal uh, a couple of years back, and it talked about that process. And I actually had this radical idea to shift to one six-year term for president mm-hmm. as opposed to two four-year terms. In doing so, you kind of take the heat off of the president for having to uh, constantly be thinking about what he or she, and hopefully one day we'll have a, a, a female president, uh, what the president is thinking about in terms of re-election. They never have to consider the political implications of uh, their policy. They can govern in a way that kind of frees them from the campaign. And it also gives them a little bit of an extended time and a, a window for, for legislative victories. Yeah. And I think, it, you know... I think at some point we've got to figure out how to release the pressure valve on this because mm-hmm. it, it's just getting uh, – you can't think about policy as much when all you're thinking about is politics in the next election. Yeah, yeah. I love that idea. Well, we don't need to get into the, the low favorite, low favorability that he has and even the establishment Republicans were hoping that he would sit out. But um, but you did mention our, our governor's yep. not really – talking about that uh, directly yeah, at least nope. because he's got a legislative session. So now that we post election last week, we've got a 2023 yep. legislative session. Let's talk a little bit about sure. what do you see as the priorities or, or maybe not even what do you see? What do you hope they accomplish sure. over the next year before we, before we even really need to start talking about the next election? Yeah. Uh, I think if the 2022 election said anything about the state of Florida, it is that there is an overwhelming mandate for conservative policy leadership. Uh, I think you, uh, from the state Senate to the state House, we now have super majorities. You have the governor uh, with massive coattails uh, in his win of 20 points. You even have conservative school board rate or now conservative school board members uh, who ran as uh, kind of a, a an antidote to the teachers unions and the woke ideology in school districts so here's what I am hoping for hit the gas mm-hmm. uh, I think the House and the Senate should send to the governor a series of, of good conservative policy bills in the very beginning of the legislative session, get some wins under their belt, uh, have the governor sign expansions of school choice, continue to press for uh, patient-centered health care reform. I think we're going to see more in the realm of uh, kind of good policy to cultivate innovation in the economy in Florida, which we've seen in the last couple of sessions. Uh, I would love to see uh, addressing things like Florida's pension system, uh, Florida's uh, kind of uh, the the challenges faced in our pro- uh, in our property insurance market, yep. which we've talked about before, are really uh, uh, frivolous litigation uh, challenges. So address right. those things. I think while it's not in JMI's wheelhouse policy wise, I think the governor has been vocal about wanting to sign a constitutional carry bill um, to make Florida one of the uh, open carry states, uh, and so. 
I think you're going to see from incoming Speaker uh, Renner and incoming Senate President Pasadomo uh, several uh, policy bills that are going to kind of solidify Florida as a conservative uh, state, uh, a deep red state, if you will. Uh, and even in some of the more social issues, we're gonna we're gonna combat ESG investing in the Florida pension system. We're uh, likely going to see further policy uh, with respect to abortion. Uh, I think that would be uh, kind of reasonable to expect given the results of the election. What What about you? What do you What do you think? I completely agree with all those things that you laid out. I think that um, it's interesting when we talk to people in other states that. Um, we we're trying to get like a little bit more school choice and a little bit more telehealth expansion when you have all these other states that uh, that are just trying to get into um, uh, some of those policies. And so I, I completely agree. I think maybe the outlier on on that is property insurance. I don't think that we are at the, the top of the yeah. list on having the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but all the other ones were, you know, number two for access to choice options. And we're always in the top five for best place to start a business. And, and so, but I think that there's still more work to be done. And just because of that, I totally agree with you. It's time to hit the gas. Um, a couple other just uh, stories in the news that I thought were interesting to to mention that, that folks may have missed. So um, we're going back to the moon. This maybe? is this is wild. Like <laughs> yeah. of all of the things, like I, I know Elon Musk had talked about colonizing Mars, and you know they we think about those things a lot in in the realm of science fiction, but. I mean, the moon landing was more than 50 years ago, and now we're talking about going back. If you believe we actually... Do, do you? Are, are you... Uh, are you? I don't know. I, I, I think that I could see both sides of it. What if... I don't know who the, the comedian is, but there's this one stand-up of this guy that gets on stage, and he was like, I don't trust people that don't believe in conspiracy theories. He's like, you, you're telling me that you don't believe in any? Like, you think the government's just batting a thousand and telling us the whole truth? And this is one where I could I could kind of see the people that think that we didn't I, actually I just don't it, know. But. I just don't know that the government could keep that it's too secret. smart for them. Yeah, it's it's too out of the it's world. Too smart yeah, for it, them. It, it it yeah, they they I, it would have gotten out. Yeah, it I thought about waking I don't even know if we could have seen it from here, but I thought about, you know, trying to wake up and then I I uh, appreciate my sleep too much, so I didn't so bringing it back down to uh, Earth, uh, we may need to go to the moon because the population of Earth has now reached 8 billion people. We're going to need new space. That's right. Yep. We're running out of room. Property so, rights on the moon. Right. So better life expectancy, I think, is the, the reason this is happening. Yep. But a couple of stats I thought were interesting. So not basically 100 years ago, in 1925, there were just 2 billion people on Earth. And now we, to put that in perspective, we are now at 8 billion, um, just as recently as 1974 there were 4 billion people so we have doubled the population since then and it's projected to be 10.4 billion by 2080 and, and, I mean and where you, are yeah, all these people going to go yeah uh, they're going to go to Mars with Elon I, it, it, it reminds me of the book uh, was it called The Population Bomb uh, mm, back yeah. 30 40 years ago where they were talking about kind of as the population grew uh, back then, there would be an inability to adapt and feed 
uh, such a you know such a, a growing population. None of those predictions uh, came to pass. I think as the population continues to increase. Um, we're going to innovate. So I think if you compare 100 years ago, uh, individuals in abject poverty or, you know, kind of malnourished and hunger, um, we, we have made incredible progress on that right. front. So, um, but, you know, yeah, maybe we do uh, want to establish the first lunar colony to. Not you know. me. I'm good here. Uh, going back to issues that involve the legislature. So um, something I think that they're going to have to uh, begin to deal with. Um, it, after the Parkland massacre in 2018, there was a commission um, on school safety that was formed, and it basically um, was to uh, report the amount of times that students during the school year are being Baker acted and then release that data. So that that was released actually today. Um, and it found that 5,000 times uh, students were Baker acted in Florida just in the last year. So And we don't have a ton. Okay. I mean, I didn't look into, I believe this is the first year that they have reported this, but I didn't look into comparing this to previous years. And I don't even know if that data is available, but 5,000 kids seems like a lot. Well, and, and here's my question. That 5,000 times... If a child was Baker acted more than once... Right. It's not 5,000 kids. kids. It's just the amount of times okay. that school districts are now having to report that a student has been Baker acted. So the interesting thing for me in this is going to be, what is the next year's data? Yeah. Uh, uh, kind of, is it more? Is it less? What's the growth rate in over time? And, and personally, I think this is a... Um, a phenomenal recommendation out of that commission, first off, yeah. because um, I've seen uh, Baker Act uh, uh, reform bills in the legislature over my years and kind of governing who gets to do it, how long the commitment mm -hmm. is, and so forth. And so this is data that can help guide policymakers as right. they... Sometimes it's yeah. important for these kinds of things before you get into the, yes. how are we going to fix this issue? Start with, well, what is the issue? Yep. And how many people is this affecting? And, and kind of the research searching uh, side of things is... And, and what I'm reading nationally also is this this growing mental health crisis among young people dating back to the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of dating back to quarantining kids, forcing them to wear masks, having to do school online, not being able to see friends or socially interact for extended periods of yeah, time. Kids in their prime years where they're learning how to socialize with yep. people being in lockdown and not being able to do so. Um all right, moving on. Thanksgiving. Yep, if, a week away. I mean, are people celebrating Thanksgiving in this economy? I, I, well, I, I'm very thankful. <laughs> I know. We, 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 uh, we live in the greatest state in the greatest country oh, in the so history much. of mankind. We have mankind. so much to be thankful for, but it is going to be expensive. This it's year. going to be a whole lot more. So, expensive. a survey that was released yesterday found the average cost of this year's holiday meal for ten people. Is about sixty four dollars up from last year, which was fifty three dollars. So, so a, a ten dollar increase amounting to about a twenty percent 
hike yeah. year over year in a Thanksgiving meal. But the most expensive Thanksgiving you will have in 35 years. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I love doing these kinds of segments. We did we did this at uh, 4th of July when we were talking yep. about like what it's going to cost for your family barbecue. So um, a couple of fo- popular food items. So if you buy stuffing mix, that's up uh, 69% pie crusts uh, for your uh, pecan, pecan, pumpkin. Pecan. Mm-hmm. Uh, up 26%. We'll agree to disagree. Uh, whipped cream for your pies, tw- up 26%. Frozen peas, 23% up. Uh, your dinner rolls are up 22%. Um, and uh, your can of pumpkin pie, uh, to make your pumpkin pie, is up 18%. So, uh, so overall... Pretty much everything. I think the only thing that I saw that was maybe down is a bag of cranberries. But who buys those? Yeah, exactly. If, you're, if you don't have the cranberry sauce from the can. From the can. The t- like if you're making your own With cranberry the sauce, I'm not eating it. With I the ridges. want to see the ridges. A great, a great tweet I saw yesterday was, uh, I can't remember who had sent it, but it was uh, he wanted everybody to describe in a word the sound that the cranberry thing oh. makes. <laughs> and I think he, the consensus was it was schwump was schwump? the, yeah, yeah, that's what it sounds like when the cranberries come out of the can yeah. onto onto the dish with the What's ridges. your favorite Thanksgiving food? I am a, a connoisseur of mashed potatoes and gravy. Mm. Uh, I like them. I don't like them super whipped. I like them a little chunky. And yeah. if there's some skin in there, I, I'm, I'm a happy camper. A nice, dark, rich gravy. And I will put that gravy on everything. Yeah, soak it all. So we do gravy, but we we have the gravy for the stuffing and the turkey because we don't do mashed potatoes. My, my mom always makes, depending on where what part of the country you live. It's either like funeral potatoes or hash brown casserole, but it's like hash browns with cheese and cream of celery. I mean, it's delicious. And there's We have a discovered few... I will never have Thanksgiving dinner at Logan Paget's family. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but my mom has tried to remove the hash brown casserole from the menu and it has not gone over well. We were all Mutiny. up in arms. And, yeah. All right. So Thanksgiving next Thursday... And then my favorite part of the post-Thanksgiving or the Thanksgiving weekend, I officially put up my Christmas tree on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, uh, which is the only appropriate time to do this. Yeah, my tree's up already. (laughs) And I will apologize to nobody because it brings me great joy that it is already up. I don't. I do. I want to celebrate that holiday for more than a month. This is time. un-American. And so, um, I we do holidays in order here. Yeah, actually, I was planning to wait a little bit, but during the tropical storm last week, we were sitting there and we had been inside with two toddlers all day trying to work from home. And at about four o'clock, my husband looked at me and goes, "You want to just decorate for Christmas?" And I said. 
I have never loved you more. Let's do it. And so we put up our Christmas trees and it was great during the middle of a tropical storm. Like you're not from Florida if you are not decorating for Christmas in the middle of a hurricane. And <laughs> that is what we did. It was I'm, glorious. I am, I am greatly disappointed in both you and your husband. Nah. Um, we do things in order here in Florida. I uh, apologize to nobody. I, I it brings it. me joy and my joy is my joy and your joy is your joy. Speaking of ordering... I can't. I don't even think I can talk about it. We're, we're gonna. We have to. We're gonna. Yep. Yeah, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to talk about the debacle. Yeah. That that's was an understatement. And I learned the, a new term just this week. Swifty. Swifties. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So what happened, if you uh, are not a Swifty, is a select few of Swifties got a special code that was supposed to let them snag pre-sale tickets um, to the show and they were going to be pri- the tickets were going to be priced anywhere from like $49 if you want the nosebleeds down to like $450 if you're going to get down on the floor which I was not um, but Ticketmaster was not prepared at all um, for the millions of fans um, that showed up to and these secure. were these and were tickets not- for for the entire tour right yeah okay but it wasn't just one show continued to announce more and more tour dates so okay. I mean it was like a week later she announced 10 more tour dates and then 17 more tour I mean there's there it is all over the world and so but it's it's interesting that I I'm interested to know like how elite was this pre-sale because I got an access code I I probably talked you're to, elite I know but I talked to a dozen people and like 10 out of the 12 of us got a code so I'm kind of like how I mean what what was this access? This was a marketing ploy. Correct. Yes. And so um, I did not get tickets. I waited in a line, quote unquote, virtual line for two with you know two thousand plus people is what it said. Yep. Finally got through, and there were. If there were any tickets available, they were behind the stage, and then even those were gone. And I, I mean, I've heard even more horror stories about different glitches. I obviously just mentioned hour-long virtual queues. There are tickets on the resale market yeah. right now that are hitting five digits. I had a friend that got access to tickets. She gets a text from Chase Fraud saying, did you purchase this? Because it was denied. And their response was, please go and repurchase. And she was like, I cannot. Yeah, so she gone. got through this whole thing and did not get tickets. Thanks to Chase, I would be switching banks immediately. Yeah, I, 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 would, be, I would be furious at my uh, financial institution. Uh, but here's a, a, a question. Is there a concert or event or act or game or something that you would pay ten thousand dollars or more Absolutely to see? Absolutely not. I can't think of one. Absolutely not. I, I, back in the day, uh, my dad spent—I want to say it was a couple of thousand dollars—for him and my mom to see the three tenors, and. That was, for him, a bucket list thing. And my dad was blue as blue-collar as they come. You know, Italian-American, yeah. you know, a, a small business owner, never went to college. But that, to him, was a bucket list thing. I don't know that there is a, a game, an event, or an act that I would pay even $1,000 to see at yeah. this point. Yeah, totally agree. 
Well, if you got access to Taylor Swift concert tickets, congratulations. They go on sale for everybody tomorrow. So may the odds be in my favor because I'm going to try again. We'll see. But if you're going to a concert, um, this was interesting. So t uh, this week, a new study came out that found that more than 1 billion young people could be at risk of hearing loss. Um, you're in luck from the concert. Well, okay. So you're in luck. If, if you're one of these people, <laughs> hearing aids are now sold over the counter. Congratulations. But so research looked at a lot of different studies and found that people under the age of 34, um, were regularly exposed to 105 decibels or more. So nobody knows what that is, but I looked it up. So just 85 decibels, to put that in perspective, is the sound level of a motorcycle. Like something that would just actively ruin your day. So so a Taylor Swift concert is going to be over 104 decibels. Right. So it turns out we're exposed to more than that because of going to concerts and bars. Um, and then more regularly because of headphones and AirPods oh, and things yeah. like that. So as a fix... Experts are recommending that when you do go to your Taylor Swift concerts, you should wear earplugs. And so, I laughed out loud yeah. when I read this because so, you're so, asking people 34 yeah. and younger to wear air or to wear earplugs to a concert after they've paid ten thousand dollars a ticket to yeah. go see Taylor yeah. Swift. Yeah, and another recommendation is now phones have an app where you can walk in somewhere and it will tell you whether or not the decibels are too loud. Can you imagine paying $10,000 for a Taylor Swift concert, walking in, looking at your app and saying, mm, I actually can't listen to this content. Yeah, I've got this, to leave. It, it just, this is uh, not safe for my ears. At yeah. that point, I would blow my ears out if I paid $10,000 yeah. for a concert. Yeah, if, I, if I'm paying, which I'm never paying $10,000 right, exactly. for... for uh, oh, let me back up. I will say this. Oh, you found someone. I, I did find one because it is on my bucket list. The World Series of Poker main event entry fee is $10,000. So, and it, if you made it, it, you would pay. Oh, yeah. If I, if yeah. I, anyone can enter it. Oh, okay. anyone can enter it. I didn't they, know if there was like a tournament nope. before. They, you they get do to have okay. what they call satellite tournaments mm. that you pay a thousand dollars, ten people, and then the winner gets the ten thousand dollar main event. That's different because you're paying into something yeah, with it's the a tournament. potential yeah. of winning yes. a lot more than that. Yes. You're yeah. not getting your no, return back when you go to a concert. Yeah. But like but that. if I were to ever pay $10,000 or more to go to an event, there's no way in the world I would be wearing earplugs. Yeah. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, to all of our folks listening, um, have a happy Thanksgiving. And we will be back in a couple weeks uh, with Sal and Bob. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.